coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. But the big thing I've found is to have a shorter leader so you can cast some fly line out. You're not casting, you're not going to be casting far distances, maybe 20 feet in front of you at the most. Um, so if you have a real long 12 foot leader, then it's really hard to cast it. So I would just have like, a, I would take a seven and a half foot leader, cut off two feet of it and make it a five and a half foot leader and have your fly pretty close to your leader, to, to your fly line. So it's a lot easier to cast and move through that pocket water. That was Kirk Bean dropping a Rocky Mountain pocket water tip today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thank you for stopping by the show. A good way to get notified when our next episode goes live is to click that subscribe button. Uh, give it a shot right now. Whatever you're using, click that subscribe button. You'll get updated when uh, when we drop that next episode. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. Proper food storage is a key to an epic trip in the backcountry. Bear Vault keeps wild adventure going. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash bear vault to check out this must-have solution in bear country. That's wetflyswing.com slash B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. Bear Vault. Kirk Bien takes us into a season in Rocky Mountain National Park. We find out how they deal with bears and moose and other critters, which fish species uh, they're focusing on throughout the year and how to target them. Plus, his favorite backpacking food. Okay, let's jump into this one and find out what that Rocky Mountain High is all about. Here he is, Kirk, Kirk BN from kirksflyshop.com. How's it going, Kirk? Good, how are you doing? Good, thanks for taking a little time today to dig into uh, back to the Rocky Mountains. We've had, uh, we got a lot of people up in your neck of the woods, so we're going to dig into a little bit on uh, what you do with your your business there in fly fishing and kind of the, you know, the outdoor travel stuff. Um, before we jump into that and talk a little about uh, Leave No Trace, take us way back quickly to how you first got into fly fishing. Um, I took a guided trip with my dad on the Bighorn River and was kind of hooked after that. Oh, really? Yeah. So how old were you when you, when that happened? I was about 10 years old. Yep. And when did you, uh, and the Bighorn is in, for those that don't know, that's uh, Montana or is that uh, Colorado? Uh, that's in, up in Montana. Yeah, that is the Montana. That's right. There's the Bighorn, the Bighorn, the Big Hole. So, okay. And uh, and when did you, so 10 years old, so you're fishing, at what point does the uh, the Kirk's Fly Shop come to be? I was uh, started this shop back in uh, 2002, so... About 20 years ago. Okay, 20 years. Nice. And what have you been doing? What do you typically, since then, you know, 20 years ago, between, uh, you know, now and then, have you been doing pretty much the same thing uh, that, that whole time? Well, pretty much. We've expanded. Now we got three shops. So um, we've got a shop in Grand Lake now, and then another shop here in Estes Park. Oh, right. Estes Park. And is that on the, uh, is that on the Big Thompson River? It is, yes. Right. So the Big Thompson kind of flows out of does it flow out of the rocky mountain then into that area the that you're talking about there with the fly shop is yeah so the um the park is kind of on the continental divide so coming out this side is the big thompson river and the other side is the colorado river coming through grand lake so we have a shop on both sides of the park oh wow 
Okay. And, and the park is, is that a focus for you doing like traveling into the park, taking people in? Is that the majority of what you do? It is. Yeah. The park is more of our summertime area. And then we fish the big Thompson in the Colorado on the spring and the fall and the shoulder seasons. Oh, okay. So, yep. So summertime. So what does that look like if somebody is coming into, you know, they're coming into that area and they want to go into the Rocky Mountains and do some fly fishing? What, what would you tell that person to, you know, what would describe that trip? What's that look like? So like in the summertime, we're going to be more dry fly fishing, dry dropper, smaller streams um, up in the park. We also have options to go down on the Colorado or the Big Thompson River for some bigger fish at that time of year. Um, spring and fall is going to be mostly lower rivers and uh, nymph fishing. Okay. Nymph. So when you come up to the Rocky Mountain, if we were going into the park in the summer, when does that start? Like, Is that kind of like a July or what's the peak time to hit it? It is, yeah. Kind of mid-June through September. It's kind of the, the park time, the little small streams, dry fly, pocket water kind of stuff. Okay. And when you go in there to the park, what is that? Um, I mean, I know you do these trips. Maybe you could describe that a little bit. Could people, I guess people could go in and day trip it as well, but do you recommend doing like overnighting? Is that kind of the better way to do it? Yeah, the, the overnight uh, trips are a little bit more fun. You can get a little further back in there. I mean, they're both fun, but it's uh, you, know, you can get back away from the people. The park can be kind of busy along the roads. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole rule of like they say 90, 90% of people that go into the national parks don't go like 100 feet from their car. Does that still hold true out there? That seems to be that seems to be very true. Yeah. Okay. So so heading out to the backcountry and then if and do you provide everything if somebody's coming in, you know, to your shop and they set up a trip, is it pretty much they can come there and you give them everything, the camping gear, the fishing, everything? Yeah, we provide everything from the tent sleeping bags, all the meals, the waders, the fly rod, all the fishing gear are all included on all of our trips. Okay. All right. So, and then for the fishing, if you get into exactly, you know, you mentioned dry fly fishing, but what is, look at, what are the species up there? And talk about that a little bit on size of fish and kind of species. So in the park, we have more, uh, mostly cutthroat and brook trout, and then lower down streams, we get more rainbows and browns. Okay, so cutties. And are these, uh, I'm trying to think now, this is probably like West Slope cutties or no? Well, we got West Slope cutties on the other side of the park. And on this side of the park, the east side of the park is going to be greenback cutthroat. Oh, greenback. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So you got the greenback. And they and I know the West West Slopes are pretty good to the dry flies. Are the, the greenbacks the same? Do they like, come up pretty heavily? They are. They're virtually the same kind of fish. They're just a little bit darker back to them. Okay. So we're going up there, and it sounds like we're going to be fishing pretty uh, small. Are these tribs of the Big Thompson River, or how small are the creeks that you're going to be fishing up there? Well, I mean, we'll be fishing. Yeah, they're all tributaries of the Big Thompson. Um, but they're like, uh, let's say, uh, 20 to 30 feet wide in some areas, or some areas all the way down to like 2 feet wide. So it just depends on which section you're fishing and how high up you get. A lot of them that we fish are like high mountain lakes, so we fish the inlets and outlets on the little tiny streams coming in, and you'll be surprised at the size of the fish that come out of those high mountain lakes into those little tiny streams. Exactly. Well, what is the size? What would be a good uh, like average, and what would be a big one? Like our average in the park is eight to twelve inches on most of the streams, but in those on those high mountain lakes, you can get them all the way up to eighteen inches. There you go. So, and, and on the dry fly, which is pretty cool. So you're probably using what like a uh, uh, four weight sort of thing. Is that the setup? 
Yeah, four weight or, or three weight. We like going to make the fish even feel a little bit big, bigger with those small rods. Yeah, three weight or four weight. All right. And what is the recommended, you know, again, so I'm coming there like right now we're setting up this trip for June, July, let's just say early July. What do I need to know about getting ready? Is there anything I should be kind of bringing on my, I guess I can bring my own rods and things like that. What, what else would I need to know to get ready for this? Well, if you like doing a backpacking trip, people way overpack most of the time. So, um, just, just the basic, like one article of clothing, um, all together, I would say, and you're going to be a little stinky. Um, but just make sure you have a warm jacket, um, wicking t-shirt, long sleeve shirt, and a nice quick dry kind of pants and then wool socks, maybe an extra pair of wool socks and an extra pair of underwear, but don't, right. don't overdo it. That's the big thing. It's hard to, we, a lot of times we have to unpack a lot of stuff and so, so you don't have to carry so much up. That's the biggest key. Right. So you're packing your stuff. So you bring your, you know, one and don't even bring a change of clothes. Just bring like your, the stuff you're wearing and you're, and is it like a three day trip or what's that look like? Yeah. Just bring the stuff you're wearing and then just bring some extra underwear is probably the best way to do it. And extra socks. Um, yeah. For like a three day trip. And then if you, if you, if you want maybe only one extra pair of pants or one extra shirt, something like that. Okay. And do you do longer? Like what is the, what's the recommended uh, length of this trip you do? Generally, we go anywhere from one night to to all the way up to five nights. Um, we've done as long as a week, um, but the park has it. They don't want groups in there longer than about a week at a time. Gotcha. Okay, so you're so you're hiking in, and do you do this thing where you're hiking in with a like uh, you know animals, or is this just you're packing the stuff in? We do both. We do overnight backpack trips. We provide all the the backpacks and tents and sleeping bags and all the gear. Or we do llama pack trips up in the park where the llama can carry all the gear up for you. That's cool. Llamas. How how are llamas different from, you know, horses? Is that like, or or not horses, or just like pack mules and stuff? Why why llamas? Well, llamas are allowed in more areas in the park than uh, traditional pack animals like horses and mules and stuff. Um, The llamas, you can't ride them, but they can carry the gear. And the reason they're allowed in more areas is because they got a real soft footprint. Um, It's just like a a moose walking through the forest or something like that. Whereas horses can dig up the trail. So um, the llama is allowed pretty much everywhere a human is allowed. And horses aren't allowed in very many areas just because their footprint is rougher on the environment. Yeah, yeah. And that segues into nicely to the Leave No Trace, which we were going to talk about on this a little bit. And so, I mean, it makes sense, right? National Park, you have a lot of visitors. That's always the challenge. How do you keep the natural resources, you know, in a pristine state, right? What, what are, when you, you know, the leave no trace, is that something that's always hot on your mind when you're, when you're doing your work in there? For sure. Yeah. For somebody that has no idea, I mean, well, obviously we've all heard of leave no trace for the most part, but what does that mean to you? What should people be thinking about? I mean, it's just pretty much what you pack in with, you pack out and then you pack out with even more if you find more stuff. So, yep including, including, uh, like, this is like everything, right? You're talking, I mean, even your down to your poop, right? Yep. Down to your poop. <laughs> we, we, we had this funny trip up in Canada. This was 10 years ago. I'm sure, I'm sure the, uh, the Vancouver, or not Vancouver, but BC is, is different, but we read as some folks up, we did this trip. We were in a remote Canyon. It wasn't a national park, but we, uh, we ended up using one of those poop buckets, right? Um, oh, it was just a bucket. We kept our stuff for like 10 days. Right. And uh, and when we got out, we were like, okay, where do we dispose of this? And everybody thought we were crazy because we carried our poop around. <laughs> and and no, but there was no place to dispose of it at the right. time. 
uh, and that's probably changed. But uh, so was this funny story. So we actually literally brought the thing back to uh, down back to the U.S. and took care of it. But I mean, what, what does that look like just for somebody that's I mean, you guys are just doing the bags things or how does that look? Right. So we do wag bags, which is pretty much just like a, a cat litter bag <laughs> that you poop into. It's a yep. big bag. Um, and normally you have like a little stand that you can sit on that's just like a toilet. And you use that and then uh, it packs up into a little Ziploc bag and then uh, yep. you know, pack it out. You pretty much either keep it in a, a bag, but then eventually you put it in your, once you've eaten all your food, you put it in your, your bear canister and for, for your way on out. That's right. No, and that's perfect. You're you're doing a good job segueing into this because the uh, the bear vault is something we want to talk about as well. And so you actually use that. That's cool to hear. So you've got this uh, the bear vault, which is essentially keeping your food from animals, right? Bears and things like that. But you also use it to literally once you're done with your food, you put your poop in it. Correct. So like pretty much you you use that to so the bears don't get into it. Um, it's not like the bears can't smell the food, but you have that. You put all your food in that for the way up. And then as you eat it, eat your food, you normally have two bear vaults. Um, and then once you empty one out, you put your trash in that, which would also be your, your poop. This is so cool because you're totally like almost blowing my mind here because I do a lot of river trips, you know, with boats and, one of the struggles has always been, you know, we do the poop thing too. And, and the same thing with the wag bags, you know, we've done a lot of different things, but sometimes you'll get a bucket, right. That kind of leaks. Maybe it wasn't maybe the top. And, and that's the cool thing about the bear vault, right. Is that it totally seals up. You don't have to worry about uh, smell or anything getting in or out. Is that correct? Well, no, the, the smell will, the smell will still leak out of it. Oh, so the well. bear knows. Yeah. So it's it, it not sealed that way. Um, it's not sealed waterproof wise, but so the bears can smell the food that's in there. And we've actually had oh. bears get into our, get our bear vaults, but they haven't got into them. They batted them around. They all actually, all of our bear vaults have bear scratches on it and teeth marks on it, trying to get into it. So it just keeps them from getting your food. Gotcha. No, that's cool. This is awesome. So, so basically, yeah, that's the cool thing. This thing, I mean, literally, um, I mean, maybe you could describe the bear vault. It's pretty simple, right? It's literally, it looks like just kind of a plastic container. Yeah. It's just a kind of a cylinder shape. It looks like a big mayonnaise jar is what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. And, but it's, uh, it's got kind of a, um, it's hard to open. Obviously bears can't open it. It may be even hard for some humans to open, but no, it's, uh, so that's it. So it's pretty similar. So it lets the smell out, but essentially the bears can't demolish it. Now, how would that be different than say, you know, um, I don't know, a five gallon bucket, right? What would be the difference there? Well, they can easily get into a five. It's amazing what a bear can get into. They can open your car door, get into your car and get food. Um, but they can't seem to get through the bear vault. And what it is, is it's, it's kind of got like a, a lid that twists around and, and, uh, and it has two little clicking parts that are click one way. So you got to push to get them to open twice. And it's kind of tricky for humans to do. And it's real hard for a bear to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's tricky at first, but then once you do it, it's yeah, it's super, super right. simple. So, so that's it. Great. Well, this is really cool. So you're shedding some light on this and essentially for you, you've got to have something to keep the bears out of your stuff. So when you're camping up there and uh, you know, that night, right, that's kind of thing. What do, where are you putting your bear vaults with all the food and stuff? So what you do is you just make sure you get it at least a hundred feet away from your camp. Um, so you put all your food in it after you eat and you always want to have like a cooking area that's not near your tent either. So you kind of cook over near wherever you're a hundred feet away from your camp and uh, then put all your food in the bear vault and kind of leave it right there. And then you can go sleep and not worry about the bear coming into your camp. 
Right. So, and not, but they will come in and, and what's keeping them from just, I guess they pounce around. They're not, not, they're not necessarily, yeah, they can't really pick it up and take it. Right. They're just kind of knocking it around a little bit. They kind of knock it around. I've had it moved maybe 25 feet or so, um, in the night. Eventually you find it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had anyone walk. They can't really grab a hold of it. They might bat yeah. it around. That's the, that's the one nice thing, you know, that they can't walk off with it for a ways. Right, right. That's really cool. So they can't walk off and then they can't really, yeah, even crushing it, right? I'm, I'm sure they've tried to like smash it. You'd think that they could smash it, but that's not doable either. Correct. Yeah. They, they can't, they can't seem to just kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's just the right shape that they can't crush it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to have Grant maybe uh, later on. We'll have Grant clarify the engineering behind it because it looks some things right. That's the cool thing. Some of the simplest things in the world are the greatest, right? And then I'm sure that's part of what this is. Right. Uh, so okay, good. Well, well, that makes sense on the bear vault and uh, and just why you need it. How does it go on your pack? So when you're packing that up, does that go just like down in the bottom of a normal like a big backpack? Yeah, you can either stick it down inside. What I like to do is they come with also like a little bag that goes around it. So you can attach it to the outside of your backpack, and little straps. Oh, nice. Strap it on kind of just like a sleeping bag or a sleeping pad on the back bottom of your backpack. There you go. And that's another cool feature I didn't know about. I have a couple. I have the, the shorter one. I think they have two sizes and the taller one. And is it also, do you ever use that thing as a, a stool around camp or do you guys, are you bringing in like plenty of camp chairs and stuff? No, no. Use that as a stool all the time or use it as your cook station. It's a great little tool for all that stuff. Yeah. So what else? If you give us a couple of little things, so you got the, the camp stool, which is I've been using it. You got the, like maybe your cook station, any other little things you might use it for other than holding your poop or your food? I can't think of any. Well, I actually use it a lot on our overnight float trips down to Colorado and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and then use it just the same way down there, put the food in it at nighttime. Um, we used to always put our food in the boat afterwards. And then one time we had, a had a bear get into the boat and that's not a good thing. No. And you guys are doing, uh, yeah. are you guys doing rafts? We're doing rafts and, and drift boats. Um, that, that one happened to be a raft. He didn't pop anything, but he kind of messed up, uh, one of the, the containers that we kept the food in. Gotcha. Yeah. So you guys are, so in Rocky Mountain, for those that, again, that aren't that familiar with it, I mean, are there bears? Is that a really common occurrence? Just kind of, if you, if you don't do things right, run into them? It's not that common anymore. Um, we, I mean, we, we uh, have a bear encounter maybe twice a year with all the trips we do. So it's not a whole lot, but everybody in the park seems to follow the, the bear keg thing. And, and, uh, and it doesn't seem like the bears really come after you camping as much as they used to at least right and part of that is just because of the probably the the rocky mountain national park putting these right these bear whatever uh, policies in place that's right yeah because there's more people i mean i'm sure there's more people there and there's i'm not sure if there are more bears do you think there are more bears just uh you know in the area or there less bears i think there's more i think they say that the bear population has actually gone up Yep. So more bears, more people, and less encounters, which has got to be a tribute to, yeah, the, the bear vault type or any of the products that are protecting and and uh, and other things. That's that's cool. So we mentioned the, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the poop, so people know how to do that. But uh, what about, so more on the leave no trace, is that pretty straightforward? You're coming in here. I mean, obviously this is a big, a big topic. I think a lot of times people don't do it right. I mean, other than bringing out your garbage, how are you doing leave no trace when you're just doing your hiking down in and out, you know, with the stuff you guys do? I think it's pretty basic. If you, whatever you go in with, you come out with. 
Yep. So I, I don't think it's too tricky, but some people have a hard time understanding it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a, it's probably just the, the small few that, yeah, make it worse for the bulk of the people, but, uh, nice. So what is the, I was kind of doing a little bit of research on this and the, the IGBC, is that something, do you, are you familiar with that term? I am not. Okay. It's, uh, I believe it has something to do with the, the requirements through the parks and, uh, and kind of some of this bear storage, but, uh, but it sounds like that you've had a couple of encounters with the bears. What has been, you know, I mean, has there been one encounter that kind of sticks out as a story that you see or you tell you've told over the years? Yeah. Uh, let me think here. I guess I put me on the spot here. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the, <laughs> as you're thinking about that, think of the, cause I know you had the boat one. The boat one sounds interesting to me because obviously right. the thing's getting in your boat, but have you had one where literally the bear is like it's you and the bear and you're seeing it in the daytime sort of thing. And, and there's some counter like that, or is it more like during the night? Most of the time they're at night and you don't even notice that they're there. And in the morning you wake up, you notice that your bear keg has been moved. So it's surprising uh, how often it's been moved. Um, so I guess there's more encounters that you would have had if you didn't mm-hmm. have the, the food stored well. But I really haven't had any too bad one, too bad a bear encounters. Nothing that's been all. Everything we got around here are little black bears. So they're not quite as scary as those grizzly bears. So. Right, right. But the difference is they say that the, the black bears, if they do attack you or are trying to eat you, is that true? Versus the grizzlies, which maybe just swat at you a little bit. Right. That's what I've heard. Like if you get attacked <laughs> by a grizzly, you play dead. If you get attacked by a black bear, you better fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So if you run into an encounter that just the normal rule, just kind of give them room and let them, let them kind of, you know, have plenty of room. Right. Right. Nice. Okay. And, and we talked about a little bit, just touched on the fly fishing, obviously the dry fly fishing, which sounds really amazing. And what is it about the Rocky Mountain National Park when you just think about the park itself? Um, you know, there's a lot of national parks in the country. Why? What makes Rocky Mountain so unique? Um, well, I, we got so much different elevation change. I mean, the tallest peak is Long's Peak, which is over 14,000 feet. And, uh, and the nest this year is at 7,500 and we're right at the foot of the Rockies. Um, we got a lot of, um, above tree line up in the park. I think what they say is the the park is like a quarter of the park is above tree line, which is pretty amazing. Um, and it's just spectacular. The views that you get around here and all the high peaks and, and everything and waterfalls and, and high mountain lakes and all that. How would somebody, if they were coming in, I mean, obviously they're going to go with you. That would be a nice tour. What if somebody was on their own? What's your recommendation? How would they find out where to go to find a cool spot to either, uh, just, let's just say fishing. Say somebody wants to come in, grab their fly rod. How would they know where to even start on the fishing? Uh, well, I mean, you can just pretty much fish any stream. Once you get into the park, you just need to have a Colorado fishing license. And mm-hmm. uh, not all the streams have fish, but most of them do. So the bigger the stream is, it's going to have fish in it. Um, mm-hmm. The main areas to fish in the park are Moraine Park, which is the, the Big Thompson, or the Conoweechee Valley, which is on the other side, which is the Colorado River, the start of the Colorado River on that side. And then on this side, we also have the St. Brain River and then the North Fork of the Big Thompson. So those are kind of the main tributaries up in the park. Okay. So if you go into the park, you pretty much, you can almost fish. It's not that hard to find fish and just, is that the situation? It isn't. No, if there's water, it's pretty much going to have fish in it in the streams at least. And then the high mountain lakes, it's a little trickier. There's over 200 lakes in the park and I think it's wow. 70, 72 of them actually have fish. So 
you kind of might want to check with us at the shop and we can tell you which ones have fish and which ones fish the best. Right. And how are people fishing the lakes? Is that something where you have to have a float tube or can you go from the bank? You generally are going to fish it from the bank because it's just a lot of extra weight to carry up a float tube. Some of the shorter hikes like Dream Lake or Hayaha Lake, which are only less than two miles in, you could probably get a float tube up to it. But the fish in the high mountain lakes, they cruise the shorelines. So you don't have to get out deep. They're cruising the shorelines because it's a little warmer water. There's more bug life along the edge. There's logs and stuff where the the bugs are. So that's where the fish are anyways. There's a long edge. Okay. And are you guys doing an equal amount of lakes and stream fishing? We probably do more stream fishing, but on the overnight and the backpacking trips, we do more lake stuff, I would say. Lakes, but also fishing the streams coming in and out of those lakes. Bear Vault keeps Wild Adventure going and assures your next backcountry trip is memorable, epic, and safe. Bear Vault builds a rugged locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals and critters out of your food. This keeps you safe, keeps bears safe, and keeps your food safe. You know my classic story I've told, so I'm not going to uh, shed more light on that today. But if I would have had the Bear Vault, I would, uh, would not have lost my backpack. This bucket uh, does it all, including acts as a stool, a pretty sweet stool. They got a couple sizes to meet your needs. Believe it or not, food storage is a key consideration in the backcountry. Bear Vault has a few other great features, including the see-through sidewalls, so you can easily get to your food, and a super, super wide opening for easy access. Be the guy who has an epic trip, not the guy who has to hike out early because of poor food storage. Check it out right now. That's uh, wetflyswing.com slash bear vault. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to check out bear vault. So, and what would be if somebody wanted to just come there with their gear, they're going on their own. What would be a couple, if you had to pick like, you know, a couple of flies that, that would be the go-tos up there for, let's just say, is it different? Would you, would one be good for lakes and streams or would you have two for each? They'd be about the same. Um, the main thing in high mountain lakes and high mountain streams up here are going to be ants and beetles. Any okay. black ant works great. Any uh, big beetle or kind of greenish looking beetle with a black black back works really well up here. Yeah. And do you guys have any, if someone wanted to find a pattern, do you have any like name patterns that you could find or is it just make up any beetle? Yeah. Yeah. The Schlatter's foam ant is a really good one. Uh, parach- any kind of parachute ant works well. Um, okay. the monster beetle with the little green body to it is a really good fly too up there. Okay. And we can find these if we go, um, I guess kirksflyshop.com, right? You, you can have, uh, can people pick up some of these patterns there? Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Probably need to call us and we'll just pick them out for you. Yeah. Pick them out. Okay. So you got that. So if somebody would, obviously the, the good thing would be probably to get, if they weren't familiar, it sounds like, I mean, getting a guide is always a good thing, but it sounds like this situation, you don't necessarily, I mean, probably somebody could just come up there even without a guide and catch a bunch of fish. Is that the situation? Yeah, for sure. Especially in the summertime. <laughs> it's, it's the fish up in the park, especially the further you go up, they're not picky. Yeah. And why do you think up there, I just picture it, you know, obviously national parks, majority of people are just sightseeing. Um, but do you find the pressure, the fishing, is there some areas that it's there's some pressure or is it just pretty open, not many people fishing? Yeah, the areas that you drive in that you see a really pretty looking stream, that gets way more pressure. The, but if you can hike back up just a little bit, maybe a half mile or so, there's a lot less pressure. But either either area, normally you can still catch fish. It's all catch and release. So the fish are 
are, uh, there's plenty of fish there in all areas. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, obviously where you're at Rocky Mountain National Park, there's bears, uh, and there's bears in a lot of places in the country. Do you focus on this area? Have you ever used the bear vault in other areas or, or that sort of thing? Do you find, I'm just kind of to get that thing, like for fly fishermen, people out there, is it a useful tool in other areas? Yeah, no, I, I'm, all of my overnight trips, no matter where I'm at, I'm using the bear vault. It's just good for the bears and good for us. Yeah. Pretty much. And what other animal? You got bears, obviously. Is that, are there other animals? I mean, you got raccoons, stuff like that. Anything else that, that, that you know, it would be helpful for? Uh, yeah. For all animals, it's good. Yeah. Like raccoons, they get into stuff. And then uh, the other thing we get up here are marmots. And marmots are oh. way up high. They, they like to get into your backpack and take out peanuts and stuff like that. So yep. even when you're just day hiking, it's good to have like a small bear vault just to put your food in to make sure that the marmots don't get into your bags. That's right. That's right. And just to wrap this up on, on the bear vault, the, the size of it is, um, it's big enough that you'd have to have a, a good size backpack, right. To slide it in the bottom. But like you said, you could have a, the extra, um, bag that it sits in. You could attach it to the outside. You find yourself doing, using both of those methods. I do. And like, there's a little, there's like a half size one or like a, I don't know if it's like a gallon yeah. size. Um, that one's easy to stick in and even just inside a day pack. Um, so when I do, when we're doing just day hikes and fishing, we'll put that little half gallon size or that half or that one gallon size one in, in a day pack and put all your snacks and stuff in it in your lunch. Oh, there you go. So that's the day pack. Yeah. So you keep your day pack. Uh, and then the bigger one is just for the bigger overnight. I mean, how many are you guys food wise, just to, to picture this, if you had a, you know, you're taking say, I don't know, four guys, four people out on, on this trip, how many um, of those bear vaults would you be bringing? Oh, two generally, two bigger ones oh, yeah. for that kind of trip. Yep. Two bigger ones. So you get all your food in that. And what does that food look like? So if somebody's doing a trip with you, I mean, what sort of food are you out there breaking out the, uh, cooking, you know, bacon and eggs and the whole, uh, the whole thing? It all depends. Like if we're doing a backpacking trip where we got to carry the gear, it's going to be mostly freeze dried meals, um, yeah. which are surprisingly good when you're up backpacking. But when you're like at home and I always thought, man, that stuff's really good. And I try to make it at home not so good at the house. It's just way better. Everything tastes better when you're out backpacking. That's right. What are your freeze dried? What, what are the, is it, uh, I know like mountain house is a big brand. Do you, do you have a specific brand you use? Mountain house is my favorite. So we do mountain house. Yeah. I like the beef stroganoff is probably my favorite yep. one. Um, spaghetti and meatballs is always a favorite. Their mac and cheese yep. is good. Um, so that's what we do for the backpacking ones. And then on the llama pack trips, uh, my mom actually makes all the meals on those ones. And then we just heat them up. Wow. Yeah. So you just heat them up. Yeah. Or you freeze them and then, then heat them up. Yeah. Just heat them up and then, uh, throw the trash in the, in one of the bear vaults. Gotcha. So, and you have just, yeah, you got your, uh, backpacking type. How would you do that? Do you have a full size, like two burner stove or is this more still all backpacking gear? Still all backpacking gear. Mostly I, I what she does is she puts them in little Ziploc bags <clears throat> and then all I got to do is heat it up in boiling water. So we just do a little, little boiling water and do two bags at a time and just two people can eat at a time pretty much. Yeah. It's just a little, a little bit better food than the, the mountain house. So, yeah. and then what is that looking like for, um, like lunch? I mean, are you guys eating bars and doing that stuff? Do you have like the, the, you know, the, uh, protein power bar sort of stuff? Well, what we do on ours, our trips is we have this, uh, food called suyat, which is also something my mom makes, which is a pizza bread with cheese and, and, um, pepperoni inside of it. And it's just kind mm. of a big, big doughy thing. And it just mm-hmm. lasts for, for plenty of days. And, um, 
and it's packed with a lot of energy in it. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. And it's good. Yeah. How do you spell that? Suyat? Suyat. <laughs> spell that for it's me. It's a Scandinavian thing. I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> you don't know? Yeah, we'll try to look it up. <laughs> I'll try to get a video or something in the show notes. Uh, I'm always interested because this is a this is a big show. I mean, we're talking one thing with the bear vault and food storage, but also just the food, right? You're out there. I mean, in that trip we mentioned when we were in Canada, I mean, we literally ate Mountain House for ten days, right? You know, but it was good. I mean, Mountain House is kind of amazingly good, especially when that's all you have, right? When you're camping, it's amazing. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, good. So, okay, so you're you're amping it up a little bit. So when you do these trips, you've got some good food, and then dinner wise, and same thing, you're just kind of uh, unthawing and, and boiling up some of the food there. Um, and are you able to now fishing wise, you're not, are you cooking fish at all? Or are you able to keep fish? Yeah, we are in certain areas. If they're not uh-huh. greenback cutthroats, it's, it's all a uh, catch and release on those ones, but, um, you can keep like brook trout and, uh, some of the rain, one rainbow uh, or one brown. So on some right. of those overnight trips, brookies are pretty darn good to eat. So, um, we'll keep them and then, uh, eat them and then the guts will pack them up and, put them in the bear vault and pack it out. How do you find the, uh, are the brookies more of a, a lake fish or where are you finding them? Uh, the, the brookies are, well, it depends. Like some of the lakes will have brookies in it, um, but they're mostly in the streams. Right. So they've just been, yeah, whatever they, they've planted them as well as brown. I mean, so if you're looking, I, I would think browns are going to be a little bigger sort of thing, but maybe not. I mean, are you finding, where would you find say rainbows versus browns versus brookies? Uh, well, so what they did in the park is they've killed off a lot of the high mountain lakes to bring back the greenback cutthroats because the greenback cutthroat was kind of a um, endangered species and still is a threatened species. So they'll kill them off to br- put them back in because the brookies kind of took over a lot of those yep. high mountain lakes. Um, right. So now a lot about half the high mountain lakes are um, cutthroats and then some of them have cutthroats and brookies in it. So they actually encourage you to to keep yeah some of those uh those brook trout. And then some of the lakes are a hybrid. They're rainbow, they're cut bows. So oh, they actually bows. encourage you to, they let you keep some of those too as well. How do you know a cut bow versus a, uh, just a rainbow or a cutthroat? Well, you can kind of see the rainbow on it, but probably the best thing is if you're in a lake that they say you can keep a fish, then you know that it's a cut bow. Oh yeah. You know, it's a cut bow. That's yeah. right. Cause it's not a, it's not a, uh, a, well, you know, it's, um, it could be a cutty. So again, yeah, there is some confusion, obviously, because right. you got cupos and you got cutties and you got cutthroats. So, right. well, I guess if anybody has questions, they can check in uh, with the park service or probably you guys. Um, where would you go if somebody wants to get more information just on overall? They're coming up to say Colorado, the Rocky Mountain, you know, national park area. Want to go in there? What's the first stop? Is it just to call the national park to set up? Because like, you got the camping, you got all sorts of things, right? Yeah, they got a they got a backcountry office that you can call if you want to do the overnight back backcountry uh, campsite in the park. So you can call them, or you can just call the visitor center at the park, and, and they'll they're pretty good at telling you where to go and they're pretty good when to come into the park and everything that way. Okay, and and those typically are probably call almost sometimes maybe a year ahead. Is that sort of thing to get these trips booked, or what would you recommend on that to make sure people can get a spot? I don't, you know, they might not might have an RV or maybe even just tent camping in a campground, right? I don't think you have to call that far in advance. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that to be sure, that's that's a good way to do it. But um, I think you can still do last minute and get in there. There's there's a, a few campsites in the park that are first come first serve. So if you get there early enough, you should be able to get a spot. Okay. 
What with those fishing, we mentioned a couple fly the ants, and that's awesome. The insect, you know, kind of the uh, the surface stuff and terrestrials. And is this thing shut off? If you, I guess it is Rocky Mountain, so that the season is short. Is it kind of by you know October, November, things are closing down? Um, well, no, yeah, October, November, it starts icing up, and it doesn't fish. I'm pretty much stops fishing. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, and then, uh, so it's a short. And season. then we're kind of in spring right now, so we get a little bit of good park fishing here in uh late april then it kind of gets run off in may and june so it's a little slow up in the park at least so then we kind of and then we kind of wait till about mid-june on and then it's good again okay so right now what does your daily weekly schedule look like since it's kind of things aren't quite there yet are you just kind of in the planning mode well no no we're doing lots of trips more on the big thompson in the colorado like uh, we got four float trips going down the Colorado and we got about eight trips going down on the big Thompson today. So it's actually really oh, good nice. fishing on the lower elevation stuff, kind of east of town or west of town. If you're in Grand Lake. Oh, Grand Lake. Yeah. yeah. And, and is Estes, is that also a town? It is. Estes park is yeah. kind of the east side of Rocky mountain national park and Grand Lake is the west side of Rocky mountain national park. Oh, wrestling. Okay, good. So we'll take us there just for a little bit because this is something interest to me just on the float trip. So you guys do these uh, multi-day float trip. What does it look like on these floats? Is this a, like lots of white water, lots of fishing? How does that look? Yeah, it kind of has a little bit of both. Um, on the Colorado, we kind of have a 15 to 20 mile section of river that we float down. So we'll, on the overnight ones, we'll do maybe four or five miles a day camp and then go another four or five miles and then camp again and then go even further down if, we, if we've got more days like that. Um, it does have a couple class threes on it, so that's pretty good white water. Um, but most of it's pretty mellow, riffly water and stuff like that. Okay, so which is good fishing, uh, and that's for these cutties. Well, down there, you're you're not as much in the cutties. Is it more of a more browns down there? Yeah, it's going to be more brown trout, more rainbow trout, occasional cutthroat, um, and then we got a lot of white fish down in there too. Oh, and white fish. Okay, mountain yeah. white fish. Yep, you got it. Gotcha. So you're floating. Are you guys just floating, fishing? Um, you've, you said you got drift boats. Uh, is it? Are you stopping and, and fishing? Yeah, we're kind of doing both. So we'll float from the boat and fish from the boat. Um, and then if it's high water season, it's going to be mostly in our rafts, our fishing rafts um, in, in May and June. And then when the water comes down, then we start using our drift boats. Oh, when it comes down. Gotcha. And, and the drift boat, what are you guys running? Do you guys have a mix of different uh, uh, drift boat comp- brands? Yeah, we got some hides and some clackas, um, but all high sides for, for more whitewater kind of drift boats. Oh, right. Yeah, you don't have the little, uh, yeah, the other style. Gotcha. Right on. So so you guys, it sounds like you guys are pretty busy doing, I mean, you pack it all too. And uh, I mean, when does your season start on the lower river stuff, you know, um, like what you're doing, talking about now? Yeah. So the kind of the beginning of March, um, once I ride at ice off, it's fabulous on the, the Big Thompson okay. kind of right at this time of year. And the, in the Colorado, right at ice off is really a good time. Yep. So beginning of March. So yeah, March, April, May. So you get a few months there. And then by June, you're really planning kind of more like, well, is like later June, July, August, September. Yeah. So you get three or four months of good Rocky Mountain, like hiking in the park. Correct. You got it. Sounds amazing. What, what, uh, yeah, I mean, is there anything else? Obviously we, we touched a little bit on the fishing, um, any other things you'd throw out there as far as, you know, either leave no trace, the bear of all, just kind of people coming in, if they're doing it on their own, any other tips you'd give them if they're going into the park to make the, sure their trip's kind of safe and, and great? Um, yeah, I guess the other things that I have is just when you're out in the, in the river and walking through the, 
through the woods, you kind of got to watch out for moose every so often up here. So oh, moose. That's the that's the one thing, but not so much. I mean, we already covered the the bear stuff, but going yeah going through the brush and stuff, just be um, be conscious of those moose because when they see you, they they either run right over you or they run away. It's one one way or the other. That's right. Are you going through the brush when you guys are out there doing the whole like hay bear or you know yelling at the animals and stuff to make or bell, bells and stuff? Uh, yeah, it's good to be noisy for sure. I don't really do the hay bear down there. And moose don't don't they don't seem to get scared from noise. So mm. when you they get scared from seeing you. So and then they're normally in a tight trail. So if they're on the if they're facing you and you're on the trail, you better scoot off to the side and let them run past you. Yeah. Yeah, moose are actually, they are the scary ones. That's the ones you yeah. definitely want to stay away from. They actually are. Right on. So cool. Yeah, it sounds like you you have a ton of stuff going on. I mean, with these, both the river trip and uh, and the hiking and, and multiple fly shops. How, how does that look with the shops? Are you, um, I'm not sure on the history, is this you running all three shops? Or how do you, how do you, you know, manage three fly shops? And it's just got a lot of good help. Um, so we got like managers on each shop and they all, they're all trustworthy and do a great job for us. Yeah. And you have a guy like plenty of, uh, what's your guide, you know, guide system look like you guys have, like, I'm assuming multiple guides. Are you the one doing the guides in the park or, or is it more, do you have uh, multiple guides there too? No, we have multiple guides in the park and I do those trips. We have on the West slope, we do most of our guides do float trips down the Colorado and we'll also do the park trips. And, uh, and then on, we also do lake trips on, Grand Lake and Lake Estes and spin fishing trips. And we do fishing for all pretty much. Right. Right. Are there other, um, fly shops or folks up there kind of doing the same thing? These, you know, these rock, you know, into the park trips. Yeah. yeah there's other, other shops in, in Estes. Um, we're the only shop in Grand Lake, but there's shops that are further away that come up and fish the same areas. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, let's take it out of here just in a couple of, uh, you know, again, think of that person that maybe they're not, they're going to be on their own, you know, maybe eventually they'll connect with you, but they're up there doing a trip. What would be fishing wise, you know, we got a couple of flies. What would be a couple of tips you'd tell them if they're heading into one of these streams, you know, and maybe they haven't caught a fish, you know, what, what advice do you give your clients? Yeah. The, the main thing is to, um, find water that you can sneak up on the fish. Well, so if you have real flat water, they're pretty spooky there go find pocket water behind rocks, boulders, areas that are, that has a little current to it that you, if you can get a fly to float in there and the fish has just a short amount of time to react, they'll come up and hit it. So, and just keep moving. If you don't catch a fish in one spot, just keep moving on up and enjoy, enjoy your time as you're walking up the stream. So work your way upstream when you're fishing. Correct. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, just give us a quick rundown on the uh, the leader setup. Is this uh, important to use a very thin? Are you kind of using like six X stuff, or what's that look like? Yeah, I don't, you don't have to. Not super line sensitive um, up in the park, but the big thing I've found is to have a shorter leader, so you can cast some fly line out. You're not casting. You're not going to be casting far distances, maybe twenty feet in front of you at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a real long 12 foot leader, then it's really hard to cast it. So I would just have like, a, I would take a seven and a half foot leader, cut off two feet of it and make it a five and a half foot leader and have your fly pretty close to your leader, to to your fly line. So it's a lot easier to cast and move through that pocket water. Right. So that just makes it less line to get tangled or you think that makes you a more accurate it does. It'll make you definitely more accurate and you're casting your fly line and not casting just the leader, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, the fly line. That's right, because you're only casting 20 feet, so you're casting the line. And then, and you see, are you casting two fish that are literally, you're seeing them rise and you're trying to cast right on top of them, or are you just casting towards wood, things like that? You are at, at sometimes. Sometimes you'll see fish rising, but most of the time you're just casting towards pockets, little soft spots in the water, edges of seams, um, behind rocks, behind boulders, behind logs, anything like that. Generally hold a fish. Right on. All right. And uh, we mentioned the Leave No Trace kind of at the start. And uh, any other, you know, as far as kind of nonprofits, organizations that people can check in more to learn more about kind of how to do this right or, you know, more information is Leave No Trace. I guess they have a website, but any other like as far as conservation groups you'd recommend? I'm sure there's a lot. I guess I I don't know any of them though offhand right now. Yeah, I'll put a link in. I think the... um, Leave No Trace has a website on, I'm sure there's some additional information they can get uh, garner there. Uh, and then you do you have resources on your site if somebody wants to learn more about the streams and map? I mean, is there like a guidebook or is it just the Rocky Mountain, go to the National Park and get their maps? Yeah, no, we've got lots of videos on fish in the park off of our website and some maps too and showing you where to go and stuff like that. You can just check us out at kirksplyshop.com. All right. And have you guys ever, uh, boat-wise, have you ever flipped a uh, flipped a drift boat or a raft out there on your trips? <laughs> Not during the trip, but uh, every guide is, if you haven't sunk a boat, you haven't you haven't rafted enough. So. so you personally have dumped a boat yourself? I have, yeah. What was that? <laughs> Take us there just for a minute, because I've been there too. I've been upside down, and it's a, a kind of a crazy feeling. What was yours? Was this on like a big trip where your gear's floating down river behind you and stuff? Uh, I did it twice, and I did it what... Um, when I was in my training, my rafting training, so they take you down through some class fours and class five stuff and uh, uh-huh. just say, go for it. And I flipped the boat twice in the same day. Oh, wow. It was so much fun. It was, right. Yeah, you didn't have a bunch <laughs> Terri- of gear that was... Terrifying, but fun. Yeah, terrifying, but fun. So you have it. That sounds like a good, that's a good resource right there, maybe before you get into jumping in the river and the whitewater to go take a course on it. Yeah, no, it was. It's good to have at least crash a boat once, so you so you know. Yeah, it's like you know how it feels. That that's what nobody. That's what you don't realize. I remember the first time I did it. It happened so fast. So it's probably like an accident, right? It happened yeah. so fast. It's amazing. You're, you're you did one minute. Yeah. yeah. What is that? Is that group? Was that a long time ago, or what was the? Is there a like if somebody wanted to dig into that resource to take a course on you know whitewater? What would that be? Um, well, we do we do one ourselves. Uh, uh, oh, you do a guide class. Um, um, I did mine through a rafting company because they, yep. they do even take you through a lot harder stuff than like a, a fly shop would. So it was kind of it was kind of fun to learn that, and I I wanted to see what it was like to flip a boat and all that stuff and learn what not to do, I guess. Yeah, right on. So so you guys actually have a guiding class now. If somebody wanted to learn to be a guide, you take them through that whole thing. Yeah, we do. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, we uh, we touched on a little bit of the service. I think I'll follow up at a later point probably with, um, you know, Grant and maybe even on the Leave No Trace. I think that would be an interesting, you know, because uh, I'm sure there's some stuff we're not thinking about, you know. But like you said, it's really simple, you know, leave it better than you, you, you got there, right? That's the whole idea. If there's a piece of garbage there, pick it up. Um, don't let your, you know, your, your dogs or your animals chew up the trail, right? That's, that's bottom line. That's an easy starting point. You got it. All right, Kirk. Well, I think we've got a good one here. Um, if anybody has questions for you, uh, we'll send them out to uh, kirksflyshop.com. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, this year is a good one. Have, have the fires, has that been an issue for you guys at all over the last few years? Yeah. Um, 
two years ago, we had a pretty big fire. We had to evacuate both towns, Grand Lake and Estes Park, but at least it was at the end of the year. And, uh, now so much is burned, maybe we don't have to worry about it as much. That's what you wonder. Yeah, exactly. Now that it's all burnt, because it seems like it's not just Colorado. I mean, this is literally, uh, you guys had that freak thing that happened late in the year or whatever that was, but I mean, it's all over the West, right? It seems right. like everything's kind of burning. So it, yeah. it's it's almost like it doesn't matter where you are. So hopefully hopefully we're in a little, uh, a little micro, whatever they call it, right? And things are going to switch. Um, but, uh, so give me a, give me a random one, Kirk, before we get out of here. So you, you sounds like you love the, the fly fishing. This has been your business. If you were going to be going pro, uh, in something other than what you do now with fly fishing and, and the outdoor stuff, what, what would it be? Oh, I always wanted to be a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. So there you go. That's what I do Perfect. right there. If I was any good of an athlete, that's what I'd be doing. That's it. Yeah. So you didn't see, so you weren't, a, you weren't in any sports in high school or anything like that. I was, I was, I played football, but I wasn't that good, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, and John Elway is he still the king? Um, he is the of king. Colorado. Hail, hail yeah. Elway for sure. Those were great times. Right on. Okay, we'll let you get out of here and uh, and just give us uh, anything else um, on the 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 Bear Vault. Obviously, we've noted that a few times here. But uh, if anybody wants to connect with you, we'll send them to your fly shop. Um, what's new now? It's April, May, June. I mean, are, do you have anything if you as you look out over the next year that's going to be you know exciting that you're looking forward to coming up? Um. We got a new area that we take people fishing on the the North Platte floating mat. That's kind of a new and exciting section for us. Oh, right. On the border of Colorado and Wyoming up there, Northgate Canyon. Right, not and not the South because the South is the uh, you hear a lot about the South Platte, right? Yeah, that's more going down through Denver or west of Denver. Yep. Perfect. That's awesome. You're in a, you're a pretty amazing area. So we'll we'll try to direct some people out your way if they're coming in and want to hit the National Park, and I'll definitely uh, hit you up uh, next time I'm through as well. So, yeah, I appreciate the time, Kirk, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch with you moving forward. All right. Thank you. So there you go. If you want to check out the show notes, check out the links and everything else today, wetflyswing.com slash 322. 322, that'll get you there. 322 is the way to go. We're moving along and rolling out of here. If you can imagine a drift boat on the river getting ready to drop into that class four where you're a little bit sketchy and know there's two moves you got to make and you're wondering just a little bit if if you miss that stroke, if that's going to be the end of the day for you. That's us. We're setting up for this rapid. We're coming down. It's like this podcast. We're always we're always setting up, getting prepared, and we're dropping in. And this is the this is the section when we just went through the rapid. Everything was clear. Everything worked out. And you're looking back, and you turn around, you look at that rapid, and you say, "I made it to live another day." That's it. We're we're on here. We're on the out of it. And but the great thing about it is that there's always another rapid uh, in front of you, around just around the corner. So I'm not sure what that next rapid is, but here it would be that next podcast. And we got a couple of great ones coming up after this, including the backcountry of Alaska. All right. All right. We're going to do this. I'm going to let you get out of here. Uh, Click that subscribe button or share this one out or any episode in the past. If you've been liking this, check in with me, Dave at wetflyswing.com. Love to hear from you. Get a chance. Let me know uh, how you found us and what you'd like to hear me dig into in the show. Have a good day. See you on the water and see you online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.